and welcome to the Rock Community Church Good Friday service. We want to welcome you. We especially want to welcome the visitors. To you that may have come alone or if you've come with family and friends, you honor us uh, by your presence as we celebrate. We celebrate tonight. We celebrate God's great love. God's great love at the cross. And you visitors, I hope that you feel like family. I hope that you've been welcomed as you've come into uh, to the service tonight. And I want you to come back. Come back Saturday night at 6 o'clock or come Sunday morning at 8.15 or 10.15 or be like me, come to all three services. And you're going to hear a powerful message from our senior pastor, Pastor John Warehouse, on the resurrection. And on Sunday morning, we can say, He is risen, and He is risen indeed. So I look forward to seeing you this weekend. I've been thinking about my message tonight. And I was thinking about the most important question that I could ask you. What is your response to the message of the cross? What is your response to the message of the cross? Would you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter and verse 18? Thank you, Mike. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter in verse 18. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Then you'll come to 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be speaking is, what is your response to the message of the cross? Each one of us need to answer that question. What is it about Jesus, when you think about it for a minute, that some of the world's most beautiful art was created in honor of him. For you that have been to Europe, that some of the greatest achievements in architecture were created to worship him. That some of the most glorious music that we heard tonight was written in praise to him. Tonight, we celebrate God's great love for us and that He went to that cross to die for our sins. Just like it says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Perish eternal life. I have studied the first part of that verse and I still don't completely understand it. For God so loved. I'm still trying to comprehend in my fine mind as I study the Word of God how that God could so love you and me. His body was broken for you and he shed his precious blood for you. 
So tonight, we're going to celebrate communion. And we're going to celebrate the greatest event in human history where God predetermined before the foundation of this earth that He would send His only begotten Son, that God Himself would send His Son for the death, burial, and resurrection. Do you realize from the day that Jesus came to this earth from heaven, everything that He did during His ministry pointed to that cross. From heaven, He came to the stable. From the stable, He went directly to the cross. As you study His life, everything was directed towards the cross. Then, He went into the tomb for three days. He was resurrected. And for 40 days, He was here on earth and over 500 brethren saw Him and then He ascended to the Heavenly Father. When He ascended to the Heavenly Father, there were two men in white apparel that said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing there up into heaven? This same Jesus that you see going up into heaven, He will come again in like manner. Yes, He came to die for your sins and He was raised for your justification. So for just a moment tonight, I want you to go back to a night around 2,000 years ago. It was like any other night. Jesus was in the upper room. He was there with His men, His apostles. He had just got through washing their feet. He was saying words of encouragement to them. If you love one another, you will show that you're my disciple. Then he said a very profound message. He said this to his apostles. My time is near. When he began his ministry in the marriage of Cana, you'll recall when he spoke to his mother Mary, woman, mine hour has not yet come. All through his ministry. And now he says, my time is near. He was orchestrating all of the events that were taking place that night and everything that was going to take place the next morning. For it was prophesied in the Old Testament. So there he is. He's in the upper room. He knows he's going to the cross the next morning. So, he knows he's going to be going back to the Heavenly Father and he wanted to say comforting words to his men. And he spoke these words. And he speaks it to us tonight in that upper room. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you will be also. And there's Thomas. And he says, Lord, where are you going? We don't know the way. 
And then he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through me. And then 19 verses later, he speaks these words to you and I tonight. Because I live, you will live also. If you believe, if you trust in him and him alone, what is your mess? What is your response to the message of the cross tonight? The next morning at nine o'clock, he is nailed to the cross. But things have happened before that. He left the upper room after the Passover and after instituting the communion, the same communion that we are going to serve tonight. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and his pain and his suffering begins in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, he prays, if it be possible, please let this cup pass from me. He knew he was going to the cross. But not my will, Father. Your will be done. He was in such stress that the Scripture says that he sweat as it was great drops of blood. His suffering has begun. They put him through seven mock trials early in the morning. Then they placed a crown of thorns upon his head. Then they began to scourge his back. They spit in his face. They beat his head with a reed with their fists and they slapped him. And then he made that trip down the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering, to the cross. And at nine o'clock in the morning, he's there for you and I. For six hours, we have no idea of the, not just the physical pain, but remember, the spiritual pain. At that moment, he was bearing all of our sins. When you're suffering, think of Jesus. Halfway through at 12 o'clock noon, there's darkness on the face of the earth. And Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He, at that moment, he is bearing the sins of humanity alone on the cross. He says, I thirst. And then he spoke these words. He says, it is finished. It is finished. He is paid for our sins. As the praise team sung, Jesus paid it all. He had paid it all. Then he speaks the words, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he cried out with a loud voice and he yielded up the spirit. We have no idea the pain and the suffering 
Have you ever thought about the pain and the suffering that he was going through? Have you thought about why he went to the cross? Isaiah, 700 years before, in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, he tells, first of all, what that pain was like. Just listen to his words. He was despised and forsaken of men. Yes, they mocked him. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He was despised and we did not esteem him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, so he did not open his mouth. And then Isaiah goes on to write the reason why he went to the cross. This is 700 years before. He says, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was pierced. The psalmist David, a thousand years before, in Psalms, the 22nd chapter, speaks of him being pierced in his hands and his feet. At Towards the end, they took a sword and thrust it in an upward fashion that went towards the heart. And I surmise there is a pericardium, which is a water sac around the heart because it said water and blood flowed out. He was pierced for our transgressions. Listen to Isaiah. He was crushed for our iniquities. All of us as sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. But yes, even with all of that, He loved us. Yet he loved us. As was sung tonight, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Paul said it this way. God demonstrated his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, while we were yet helpless, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Yes, as Isaiah said, because of yours and my transgressions, because of my iniquities, my sins, all have gone astray. But, here's the good news, but Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace, the chief cornerstone, the wonderful counselor, the word of God, the rock, the great I am, Emmanuel, God with us, our coming king, he is our high priest, he is our Lord and Savior, he went to the cross for our sins. I want us to pause for just a moment and think about this. Remember at the very beginning, I said some of the most famous art even speaks 
of our Savior. At this time, I would like for you to look at this famous painting of the crucifixion by Rembrandt. When you look at this picture, you will see that your attention is first drawn to the dying Savior. You notice that when Rembrandt painted that, all of the focus was on our Savior. It reminds me when I see when he spoke in the upper room. It says that Jesus, when he was in the upper room, was praying to the Father. And it says, and you'll notice that his eyes are upward. Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. I am reminded of the encounter that he had with Nicodemus. And he said, Nicodemus, even as the Son... Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Yes, there he is, suspended between heaven and earth. When I first saw that, the scripture that came to my mind is that you see the focus on Jesus. Fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now sat at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. Yes, he is their intercessory for you and for me. He is no longer on the cross. But as you look at that picture, I want you to notice some other things. Look at the people in the background. You see two groups of people. There are some that are mocking. There are some that are praising our Lord. If you, see, if you can see the soldier at the foot of the cross, he is in worship and he is in adoration. There was a group of people there that were mocking they thought it was foolishness. There were others who were saying, this is the power of God. Then, the last thing I'd like for you to look at is I'd like for you to have your eyes drift to the edge of the picture. And I want you to catch a sight of a lone figure. That lone figure is Rembrandt himself. He painted himself into his picture. And if you look at it closely, he's holding out his hands like this. And in his biography, he said, My sins nailed Jesus to the cross. Remember what Isaiah said? As a lamb... To the slaughter, the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He, who, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So sadly, 
today, there are those that think that the message of the cross is foolishness. Some think it's foolishness. Others, it's the power of God. Such a man that experienced both of emotions was the Apostle Paul. Remember the Apostle Paul before Christ? He thought it was foolishness. Before Christ, he had the wisdom of men. Remember, he was so well educated by Gamaliel. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. But you remember on that Damascus road, he met the living Savior. And he realized the power of God unto salvation at that time. I truly believe that the reason why he was struck blind at that moment is that all those years, he thought that Jesus Christ, it was foolishness. And now when those scales were removed, he saw that it was the power of God. And now that he knows it's the power of God, he can write from 1 Corinthians, the first chapter and verse 18. So follow along with me. And you'll understand why he can write that now. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 because he experienced this himself. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Father, I thank you so much that as a young boy, I discovered who you were, Father. And for that, I'm so ever thankful. Father, I thank you for even all the struggles that I've been through. I thank you for the joy and the peace that I have in you. Father, be with us now as we study your word. Give us understanding. These things we ask in your son's name. Amen. He wrote this to the church at Corinth. There were there those in Corinth that thought the preaching of the cross was foolishness. But Paul knew it was the power of God unto salvation because he had met the living Savior and he wanted to share it with other people. Your response to the message of the cross determines your destiny and it determines your future. Look at the first part of the passage in verses 19 through 23. It speaks to those who are perishing. Paul explains to us how God feels about man's wisdom when man says the cross is foolishness. Look at the four areas. In verse 19, two of them are found in verse 19. Number one, God will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And number two, God will set aside the cleverness of the clever. The Apostle Paul, he was quoting from Isaiah, the 29th chapter and verse 14. Israel was relying on their own means against Assyria, and they were not trusting in God. 
They had walked away from God. They were trying to get help from other sources. And so that scripture was in, Isaiah said that to the Israelites. That your cleverness of clever, that your wisdom is not going to get you anywhere. Judgment came and they were thrown into Assyrian captivity. The third thing that he says about the foolishness of men. Look at verse 20. He says, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. He says, where is the wise man? Again, he quotes from Isaiah, the 19th chapter, in verse 12, concerning Assyria, the judgment. Remember what Paul says. If you'll turn to the right, and if you look at chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, listen to what he says about how God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. It says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. And then finally he closes with his fourth point. And see, he experienced this. This is why he could speak this. In verse 21, he says, The world through its wisdom will never come to know God. See, Paul spoke from experience. Turn back to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter in verse 14. Paul experienced this before he had his Damascus Road experience. Listen to his words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So now Paul explains why it is so difficult for people to believe this message. Look at verses 22 and 23. In verse 22, he says it's a stumbling block to the Jews because they seek a sign. In verse 23, it says it's foolishness to the Greeks because they search for wisdom. But Paul says here, he says, God will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the cleverness of the clever. He'll make foolish the wisdom because they rejected the preaching of the cross. In their own wisdom, he says, they'll never come to know God. And then he shifts gears. He says, to us who are saved, the message of the cross is, is the power of God unto salvation. Look at verses 21 and 23. Paul explains what he preaches. In verse 21, he says, God, through the foolishness of preaching, the message of the cross saves those who believe. My question to you tonight, have you ever believed? Think about it for a minute. Is there a moment of time where you said, Lord, I'm going to commit my life to you? The rest of my life. I made a commitment like that when I was a young boy. And I have walked with my Lord. And I, I want to encourage all of you. I cannot tell you the peace and the joy that I've had these some 50 years. Have you ever personally believed the Apostle Paul is saying? 
And he says it's through the foolishness of preaching that we get that point across. See, Paul was all about preaching Christ. Look at verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. If you turn to the right, he continues the theme. In 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's the message of the cross. It's the message of the cross that can, you young people that are here, it can change your life. You can start walking with the Lord as just a young person. And you can avoid so many pitfalls that are out there in our culture. So Paul, now he explains who we are. Who we are. Then he explains who Christ is. Look at verse 24. You that know Christ as your personal Savior and are walking with Him, he says, you are the called. You are the called. You know, in each one of our lives, there, God was drawing Himself to us at one time for you that are saved. And who knows, this might be your time tonight. God might be calling you to come to know Him in a personal way that can absolutely change your life. Then he goes on to say, who is Christ? Look what he says. Christ is the power of God and Christ is the wisdom of God. You know, to the called, Christ becomes the power of God and he becomes the wisdom of God. And then Paul in verse 25, he says, he's going to compare man's wisdom. Some of you may be rejecting Christ. And you may say, and people at school or people at your work are running the Christ down in this culture. This is what Paul says. And this is from personal experience. And also as he speaks from the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 25, The foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. So, from Rembrandt to Paul, we saw two groups of people. Where are you? Foolishness? Or are you like me? I know from personal experience the power of God. He is my life. Perish? eternal life do you realize that there were two examples at the cross you all know about the thief on the cross on the right and the left the one criminal was mocking the other criminal Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus said today you shall be with me in paradise he felt the power of God, at that moment, he began a relationship with Jesus Christ, even for a short time. But he was gloriously going to be in heaven, for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The other example, how about the centurion? The centurion was there with the guards. 
They were there with six hours with Jesus. You would think he, they would know. They first started off mocking. Remember they were going for his garments, casting lots for his garments? Not only the centurion, but the other men, the scripture says. Truly this is the Son of God. You know, in conclusion, you need to remember that God will destroy the wisdom of men. He will put aside their cleverness. He'll make foolish the wisdom of this world. The world, through its own wisdom, will never come to know peace. They'll never come to know God. To us who are saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. So, we're going to be taking communion. And I just want to pray right now. Father, I thank you so much for the message of the cross. Again, Father, I thank you for the the peace and the joy that you give me, even during these troubled times that we live in. Life is so hard. But the suffering that we suffer, Father, is nothing compared to what your son did on the cross. And I thank you for your, your great love for us. Father, be with us now as we prepare our hearts in reverence to our Lord. As we remember. As we remember what he did on the cross for us. And Father, for that, we'll be forever thankful. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. The scripture says, a man should examine himself and in so doing, he's to eat of the bread and drink of the cup tonight let's examine ourselves you've heard the message of the cross that it's the power of God unto salvation if you're here tonight under the sound of my voice and you've never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ you cannot point to a time where you began your walk with the Lord. You know, you can do that tonight before we have communion. Thank you. You can do that tonight. The Bible says that, you know, with the mouth, confession is made that Jesus is Lord. with the heart man believes unto righteousness my heart goes out for you tonight there has to be in a crowd of this size a few people that are not walking with the Lord there's never been a time you can do that right now in the quietness of your heart you can experience the peace that I know I have such a burden right now I can't tell you because I want everybody to have what I have.
you don't have to say a lot of words. Even before you say it, God knows your heart. I think that time I went to the mourner's bench, even before I got out of my seat, God knew my heart. You know, you have to repent of your sins. And you say, I'm going to go the other direction. That's it. You don't say you're sorry. You say you're going to repent. And I'm going to go the other direction. And then say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I love you. I know you went to the cross for me. And I know my sins put you on the cross. I know that you were raised from the dead. I put my trust in you right now for eternal life. Do that. Not for me. Only do it. Only do it if you feel God drawing you during that message. Because God said, no man can come unto me unless the Father draw him. Not me. I don't want you to be saved because of me. Anything that I've said, mainly what God's Word has to say. If you do accept Jesus in the quietness of your heart, I will stay here as long as it takes after the service. Would you please come up and talk to me? Christian, what about you? Before you take this bread and this cup on this solemn occasion, do you have any unconfessed sins? Are you walking with the Lord? Are you abiding in Him? Are you remaining in Him? Are you continuing in Him in your daily walk? Not just on the weekend, but moment by moment. Before you take of the bread, before you take of the cup tonight, would you pray for any unconfessed sin? And say, Lord, I'm going to follow you with every beat of my fiber. quietness of your heart now let's just have a time of reflection and get your hearts right before we take of the cup and of the bread Corinthians, the 11th chapter, and verses 23 and 26. Paul remembers that first communion night in the upper room, the night before Jesus went to the cross. Listen to his words. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. So do this in remembrance of me. 
us bow our heads. Father, we give thanks to you tonight. We thank you for your broken body that was broken for us, for our sins. And for that, Father, we'll be ever thankful. You may take of the bread. Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins as you take of the cup tonight think of Calvary the place of the skull Golgotha where he shed his blood for you spoke these words in the same way he took the cup he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Remember the blood you may drink. When they had taken of the bread and they had taken of the cup, the scripture tells us that they sung a song and they went out into the night. 